Join me as we pray. Lord, we just praise you and adore you. I'm reminded that you have said that you indwell the praises of your people. And Lord, we focused on you and your word and in our praise, remembering your death, your resurrection. And Lord, we just pray now that you would open our hearts to be receptive to your word, that your spirit would speak to us. And Lord, we pray that you would just be lifted up in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you. Uh, we drop in and been worshiping with you uh, uh, from time to time in various locations and uh, found this location after circling the church property a couple of times. Uh, and uh, it's been good to especially uh, to just get to know uh, Dustin and Ryan and their families and many of others of you and just hope that we can be an encouragement to you and enjoy uh, worshiping with you and just appreciate the focus on uh, discipleship and nurture in, in God's Word. Uh, so I appreciate the opportunity of sharing with you uh, this morning. In a couple of weeks, my wife, Bobby, uh, sitting back there, uh, she's obviously the oldest uh, lady in the group uh, that uh, will be sharing with some of the ladies on uh, Bible study on Thursday night, and so I uh, hope that you'll be able to come uh, whenever that is as scheduled, but... Uh, we're just so grateful for what the Lord is doing and sharing with you. And I want you to focus, uh, before we get to the Word, just uh, a question to think about. And I hope that will stimulate some thinking even beyond just your, these moments this morning. But how would you answer the question if I were to ask, and I am asking, what is your life purpose? What is your life purpose? Now, I found that a lot of folks your age hadn't really thought seriously about that question. Now, some of you have a sense of direction in life and vocationally of what you're going to do. Uh, you have aspirations and dreams for your family and, and success. You want to be faithful in, in serving the Lord. But what is that focal purpose of your life? Why you exist in this, this world? Uh, I ask my classes occasionally when I teach uh, at Mississippi College, uh, William Carey, uh, you know, that question. And, you know, honestly, the question is to get through the semester. You know, that is my life person. Or to get my degree, you know. And beyond that, well, that'll kind of unfold and open up. I'll think about that. But right now, you're just totally consumed with the immediate. And I found that a, a lot of young families and, and students uh, find themselves in and, and rather a, a narrow, you know, it's, it's focused on, on the immediate, you know, paying off school debts, getting a good job, finding a, a comfortable place to live, uh, starting a family. And, uh, you know, we try to merge all of that together with faithfulness in, in serving the Lord, but it's kind of challenging to think beyond that. Uh, you know, the, the whole idea of a sense to call that led us to 40 years of missionary service began actually as a teenager, and God continued to confirm that sense, though I could not have identified that as a life purpose early on, but it kind of began to come into focus to, to give my life to make the greatest sense possible uh, in bringing a lost world to Jesus Christ. Now, where that would be and how that would be but, but the purpose was driven by that vision 
of, of winning a lost world, of sensing the lostness and the need for, for someone to give their heart to the Lord. I remember studying about the masses of people in China coming under the grip of communism and following their Buddhist and uh, culture, uh, you know, and realizing here were literally millions of people living and dying and going to hell, not because they had rejected Jesus Christ, but because they had to have no opportunity to know him. And I thought, well, why don't more missionaries go so everyone at least has the opportunity to hear and to know Jesus? And it was as if God reflected that thought back into my heart to say, there's the potential in my life of doing that. And I never got away from that. If there's a need for people to tell others who've never heard of Jesus, the gospel, well, there's the potential in your life of doing that. But God began to bring into purpose, uh, into focus, uh, a, a purpose for my life. But you know, I still, like, like many of you, it was kind of a matter of just uh, being kind of laid back, not exactly floundering, but just kind of spontaneously taking life as it comes towards you. And I can remember when I got to be 60 years ago of age. Now, I know that's way on out there for most of you guys, but it's coming. I mean, and it's going to come faster than you think it was. I mean, life does keep accelerating. It's amazing. And I remember when I got 60 years old and realized, I don't have much more time. Now, God hadn't led me to retire at that time, and I, I wasn't even thinking about retirement, and it certainly wasn't going to be at 65, or, or even though I've retired from the role that I had, I have certainly hadn't retired from serving the Lord, but I realized I don't have as much time left as I used to have. What is it that God wants me to accomplish in my life? Will I be faithful and accomplish his purpose? Uh, I've got to get with it. Time is, is running out. You know, and the time's coming, and I think we will all ask ourselves, you may have been successful career-wise in your family, uh, economically, but what difference will your life make for eternity? Really, that, that's all going to matter. What difference will it make for God's kingdom the fact that you have walked upon this earth? So what is God's purpose for you in his divine plan? Because you see, that purpose, that sense of life's purpose, is what shapes your decisions. It's what gives direction to your life. Uh, take, for example, uh, I'm kind of a, a sports addict and uh, ready for football season to really get started, you know, but uh, I can remember back to the, to the Olympics or, or I've been watching some of the tennis tournaments getting, you know, gearing up to the U.S. Open, and it's amazing the skills, the competency of these championship players. That didn't just happen because they were a pretty good athlete. No, they worked at it. They practiced someone who determines they're going to be an Olympic uh, swimmer. You know, that takes care of a lot of decisions in life. They never had to decide whether or not they wanted to get up at 5 a.m. and go swim laps. I talked to a lady that was aspired to running a marathon. And having set that goal and that purpose, 
You don't decide, well, shall I go out and run today? No, you're going to run every day. I mean, not just a little bit, but a lot. You don't have to decide whether to indulge in a triple chocolate, you know, hot fudge sundae, you know, every day. You've got to eat, be lean and mean if you're going to set a goal of running a marathon. If you've set the goal or have a sense of becoming a doctor, that takes care of a lot of decisions. You don't have to decide whether or not you're going to take biology. You don't have to decide whether or not you want eight hours sleep every night. You know, it just doesn't conform with the goal. Well, let me ask you this question. What if you decide to commit your life to the Lordship of Christ? Do you realize that takes care of a lot of decisions in life regarding your behavior, relationships? You know, you don't have to decide whether or not you're going to get involved in the body life of a church. You don't have to decide whether or not you're going to witness to others for Christ. You don't have to decide whether or not you're going to uh, try to develop and nurture a Christ-like character in life. You've already decided that when you realize the purpose of your life is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I've heard my wife uh, share several times with young people, you know, like so many of us, wanting to know what is God's will for my life. I'm getting ready to go to college. I need to know what to major in, what to prepare, what directions to go. Lord, what's your will for my life? And she was in a youth uh, retreat and heard the speaker say, young people, you want to know what God's will for your life is? I can tell you. Boy, she sat on the edge of her chair. She's just waiting for that, someone that would tell her what was God's will for your life. He said, God's will is for you to be a witness for him. Well, all right, but that's, you know, not really what I was looking for, you know. But what is God's will for your life? What is, is God's purpose? In Luke 4, I want you to turn with me to the fourth chapter of Luke. We have the beginning of Jesus' ministry according to the Gospel of, of Luke. Now, it's kind of interesting. Luke's Gospel has a, a far longer introduction to the ministry of Jesus than the other Gospels. Uh, the John just jumps right into the witness of, of John, and Jesus appears on the scene, the Lamb of God's baptized. Mark just jumps right into his ministry and teachings and, and ministry and Matthew has a little introduction, but Luke has four long chapters. I mean, telling about the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus, his temptations, his baptism, and takes a, a lot of time with that. So you get to the fourth chapter before Jesus is beginning his ministry, and he starts in his hometown of Nazareth, where he stands up and reads from the scripture, the passage from Isaiah, declaring he's the one, he heals the man with the withered, withered arm, and then he takes off to Capernaum. And that afternoon, uh, he arrives in Capernaum and heals Simon's mother-in-law. Uh, in fact, uh, a few years ago, the last time I was in Israel, we were having kind of a group conference of overseas missions leaders and kind of a team-building effort. The first day, we walked the Jesus Trail from Nazareth to Capernaum. Now, it wasn't the entire way, because that's about 40 miles, but we walked about 25 miles out of it. We drove out of town, a park, and kind of a launching place. But that was intriguing, 
just to think this is the very trail. I mean, he's off the main roads, through the olive groves, up and down the hills, along the streams. And I can, can remember, we stopped for lunch uh, under the olive groves, a little babbling brook there. You could just envision being with Jesus as he walked that way. And uh, I remember cresting one of the hills and suddenly the Sea of Galilee just opened out beyond us. Still had about an hour walk to get down to Capernaum, but that was just an intriguing way. Well, I mean, Jesus really could get with it. I mean, you're walking. Just think, in the afternoon, he walked from Nazareth to Capernaum. Well, when sunset on that first day, it was the, the, uh, the, the Sabbath day, The scripture says the whole city came to him. And Jesus healed the sick and cast out demons of all of them. And I want you to notice in these early beginnings of Jesus' ministry, three things. He determined the priority of God's purpose. He demonstrated the power of God's presence. And he demanded participation in God's plan. Now look in uh, the last part of chapter 4 of Luke, verse 42. The next day, uh, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and uh, would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Now, Jesus, early in the morning, before daylight, he always withdrew. This became a pattern of his ministry, withdrawing to an isolated place and spending time with the Father. Why did he do this? Because it was important to Jesus to stay in touch every day with the Father and the purpose that the Father had set for him. And so this was a pattern. We need, need to, to learn, learn from that. And so they came for him and looked for him, anticipating him to leave. And he said, but I must preach the gospel to the other towns and villages because for this purpose I was sent. Now, now we like to focus on the, the death of Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins. Of course, we know he came to seek and to save those which were lost. But in terms of his life, his ministry, what was his purpose? Was to see that everyone heard the good news of the kingdom. No one was left out to preach the gospel to to everyone because this was God's purpose, that everyone would have an opportunity to know. Now, this has something to say about God's purpose for us. You know, we, we tend to have a very egotistical Uh, religious experience and perspective on our our relationship with God. In fact, it's it's expressed in the very uh, basic question so many of us ask, God, what is your will for my life? What is your will for me? Do you realize how egotistical that is? It's all about us, you know, my life, what I'm supposed to do. You know, it's, it's the wrong question. The question each of us as a child of God should be asking Lord, what is your will, period? And when God helps us to understand and reveals his will, then we need to understand his will for our life fits within his overall arching purpose and his will. 
And so the thing we should be seeking is an understanding of the will and purpose of God. And what is God's will? That everyone would know Him. That the gospel would be proclaimed. So how are we to do that? What is God's purpose and God's will and how would He lead us to be involved in that? God's desire is that all the nations and peoples would know Him. The internationals that God are bringing in our, our community you know, I, I'm, I'm reminded of this as I just see the uh, massive numbers of Hispanics and Asians and Muslims uh, that are coming into our, our communities, uh, uh, going to school, uh, where, where we go to school, at Mississippi College, Jackson State, just all over. Uh, you know, do we realize why they're here? Yeah, they've come to get an education. But I, I remember the day of Pentecost in Acts, you know, uh, Acts, Acts 2 and verse 5 says and there were men, devout men from, listen, every nation under heaven gathered in Jerusalem now I tend to take the Bible literally, now that, that's an awesome concept, you know from every nation under heaven were gathered God had brought them to Jerusalem and what happened? They heard the gospel proclaimed in their own language what had Jesus just told his disciples about 40 days earlier? You are to be my witnesses and make disciples of all nations. You know, and they hadn't been yet. They hadn't gone. But it was like God brought them to him and said, Hey guys, this is what I'm talking about. You know, so everybody will have an opportunity to hear the gospel. And God is, is bringing them to, to us as well, the ends of the earth. Isaiah 49, 6, God is speaking to Israel and he says, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to raise up the tribes of Israel and the preserved ones of Jacob. I've given you as a light to the nations that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And God would say to you, to every church, it's too small a thing for you to just be focusing on yourself on your church, on your worship, on your families. Listen, I've given you the gospel, the light to the nations. And if you don't share it, who will? If we don't take the gospel to one billion Muslims across northern Africa and the Middle East, who will? If we don't reach the masses in the cities of Asia, who will? Because we have the light of the world. We have the light of the gospel. We have the knowledge to be shared. And if we don't do it, who will? And that's why God has called us to Himself. You know, Israel realized this as the chosen people of God, even in the Old Testament. I, I remember talking with someone and uh, he said, well, you know, Jesus didn't give the Great Commission until the New Testament you know, following his ministry and his, his death and resurrection. But it began in Genesis, in God's heart, before the foundation of the world for, for the nations. You know, sometimes we thought, here was Jesus having completed his earthly ministry, died and rose again, gathered with his disciples on the hillside in Galilee, ready to ascend to the Father. It's like, oh, by the way, it just occurred to me, why don't you go and disciple other nations? You know, kind of an afterthought to his ministry. 
No, this began in the heart of God before the world was even formed. And that's why he called Israel as his chosen people. Sometimes we get kind of lost in all those narrative and Old Testament stories and so forth. But even in, uh, in the 16th chapter of 1 Chronicles, I, I love this passage. It's the occasion when David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the tabernacle. And of course, the Ark symboled the presence of God in the midst of his people and, and, and chapter 16 of 1 Chronicles is, is a whole uh, chapter of just worship and hymn and singing praise. And it says, tell of his glory among the nations, tell of his deeds throughout the earth, uh, that, that God, tell of his sal- proclaim his salvation, that all the ends of the earth would praise him. What does that reflect about Israel? They realized that it wasn't just about them that God had called them to be a mission people, to declare His glory, to tell of His salvation and His works, that all peoples might know Him and worship Him, because this was God's purpose. In Psalm 67, it begins in verse 1 with a familiar passage, God be gracious to us and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us. I've uh, sometimes heard that uh, Dustin is a benediction, you know, in a worship service. You know, having worship, heard the sermon, you know, and all that, then, okay, pastor, God be gracious to us, bless us, cause his face to shine upon us, and we go home. But the next verse says, that thy way may be known upon the earth, thy salvation among the nations. Why would God choose to bless his people Israel? And be gracious to them. Only so that they would fulfill his plan and purpose that his way would be made known on the earth and among all peoples. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you ever pray for God's blessings? Do you ask for God to bless you? You know, in your work, your classes, your family. Bless your business. Bless your church. Why should God choose to answer your prayer and bless you? If the result is just feeling better, you know, prospering a little good, being happier. No, God blesses us that we should fulfill his purpose. That's why he's gracious to us and gives his grace that we might fulfill his plan and his purpose of making him known among others. Back to... uh, you know, just the, the tendency of our, our self-centered religious expression, even in our relationship with God and His purpose. Uh, if I were to ask, why did Jesus down the cross? Most of you would probably reply, to save me from my sin. And we've just celebrated that in the, in the Lord's Supper and Communion the body of Christ that was broken for us, and His blood that was shed for our sins. We, we've meditated upon that, that we have benefited from, from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But listen to the explanation of Jesus Himself to that very question. Why did Jesus die on the cross? In Luke 24, verses 46 and 47, Jesus said, Thus it, was necess- thus it was written in the Old Testament and necessary for the Christ to die 
and be raised again. Listen. That repentance and remission of sins would be preached in His name among all nations. Why did He die on the cross and provide salvation? Just so you could be saved? So I could be saved? No, it was to give us a message of salvation and hope for the nations. A message to proclaim to the nations. And so, just as Jesus determined the priority of His purpose, it wasn't just to reach the people in Capernaum where they were responsive to the gospel. It wasn't just to preach in His hometown of Nazareth. No, God's purpose was that the gospel, the the kingdom would be proclaimed in all the towns and villages that everyone might hear of Jesus. And if that's God's plan and purpose, I think it has to do something with His plan and purpose for us and why He's called us as His people and given us an opportunity to know Him. But follow, if you will, in the Scripture there. Move on into chapter 5. The next morning, we find Jesus... Uh, preaching there by the seashore, there in Capernaum. And this is the crowds gathered around him, and he he got in a boat, you know, pushed off a little ways from the shore and was was preaching. Meanwhile, the disciples had returned to the lake fishing. Now, this was the experience. You know the little song, child's children's song and story. They fished all night, didn't catch a thing. Fished all night, didn't catch a thing, you know. Uh, And so they hadn't been successful. Now, now they knew how to catch fish. These were experienced fishermen. They'd spent their whole life there on the Sea of Galilee, but they hadn't caught a thing. And in verse 4, as Jesus finished speaking, he said, and when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Now, what made the difference? What made the difference? The presence of Jesus. Jesus demonstrated the power of God's presence in drawing in the net and catching the the fish. Why is it? That I just think through that we gather to worship, that you gather here on, on Sunday morning to worship Him. It's like Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. God knows we need to draw aside from the busy, hectic pace and schedule and demands of daily life and focus on Him. And I love your pattern of worship and Dustin and Ryan's leadership of focusing on the Word and focusing on Christ. This is a time of worship, to relate to God, to be renewed in our relationship to Him. But is that what it's all about? Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. That's just the first part of the verse. The rest of the verse says that I may be exalted among the nations and be exalted in the earth. You see, our worship is to be a time of empowering us and equipping us in God's presence to serve Him and fulfill His purpose in in our life. In in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, 19-20, where Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, uh, we need to realize it's predicated on verse 18. 
where Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now let that sink in for just a moment. This will make a radical difference in your life. There is no power in all the universe that exceeds the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And when we look at the headlines of the newspapers, our newscasts, the mess that our country is in, and all the turmoil and evil and things that's going on in the world, that's just hard to comprehend. But there is no power that exceeds the power and authority of Jesus Christ. He has the authority to do whatever he plans and determines. And he tells us what that is in the next verse. It starts with, therefore... Therefore, we are to go and make disciples of all nations and all peoples. But then he closes by reminding us, but don't forget, I go with you. Lo, I am with you even to the ends of the age. You see, when we are dedicated and focused on God's purpose, we're empowered by his presence. The assurance that he goes with us in all that power and authority. Why would he be so presumptuous to tell this little group of disciples in Acts 1.8 before he ascended to heaven that they were to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth? I've often thought, what was their comprehension of the ends of the earth? These little uneducated Galileans, they'd never been out of that little narrow area. How in the world... Are we to reach the ends of the earth? But you see, it's predicated on the fact they had received the power of the Holy Spirit. You've received the power of God's Spirit and shall be witnesses to the ends of the earth. He's given us the power that we need. And God's power is evident all over the world. Uh, You know, I was just in a a conference. In fact, one of my little sidelines in retirement is serving as director of the Zwamer Center for Muslim Studies at Columbia International University. And uh, a new book has just been written uh, researching the movements among Muslim people groups. And 12 centuries, from the 700s until the 1900s, middle of the 1900s, there's in all of the spread of Islam across northern Africa, the Middle East, Central Asia, and Asia, and in European cities and so many places, there was only documented two movements of when people left Islam to become Christians. Literally thousands of of Christian peoples became Muslims as that, uh, you know, uh, just influence just, just continued to spread. But since 1980, there have been over 70 movements of Muslim peoples to Jesus Christ. You see, things like Saddam Hussein, Ayatollah Khomeini, Isa that's arising is revealing the nature of Islam and is stirring in the hearts of people something that will give hope and security. And it's finding it only in Jesus Christ. In spite of repression and persecution, We have, some people are reporting as many as 25,000 people a day are coming to faith in Jesus Christ in China alone. God is moving in our world today. 
He's using global events, the political turmoil and ethnic violence and natural disasters and economic uncertainty to turn the hearts of people to a search for something their tradition and religion and culture cannot give them. It's the greatest day of harvest that Christians have ever known. And Jesus is demonstrating the power of his, his, his plan and his presence through those who are faithfully proclaiming his word. But you know, personally, I think one of the driving things in my life, realizing that Jesus Christ lives within, that the power of God's Spirit has been given to me, is a longing to see something happen that cannot be explained except by the power of God. I long every day just to see through, through a witness, through a ministry, God choosing to use me in a way that cannot be explained by my training, my education, my personality, my hard work. There's no explanation except the power of God. And how we should long to see that through God's presence in our life. But not only did Jesus determine the priority of God's purpose and demonstrate the power of God's presence, he demanded participation in God's program, in God's plan. Last, in verses, uh, last part of, of verse 10 in chapter 5, he said to Peter, And do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. Now this is stated a little differently, but it's the parallel passage in the other Gospels that you would be more familiar with, where Jesus says, Come after me, and I will make you to be fishers of men. He demanded them to follow because in following Jesus, he assured them that they would participate in his plan and his purpose, his program of winning people to the Lord, of extending his kingdom. And notice the response of the disciples in verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him to to participate in his plan, in his program. When I was president of the International Mission Board, we were focusing on unreached people groups and those who had never had an opportunity to even hear the gospel. There were people's massive numbers without any church, no Christian believers among them, no missionary working with them. And I remember getting a letter from someone who had a prayer ministry, I think in Texas, and he said, I've been reading about your appeal for more missionaries and more churches to get involved in reaching unreached people groups and people that have never heard. And God laid on my heart, Matthew 9, 38, where Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would thrust out laborers into the harvest. And I've been claiming that that promise, and I've been praying that God will call out laborers to reach a lost world. And then he said, tell me, why isn't God answering my prayer? Why isn't he calling out young people and missionaries? Why isn't he calling churches to give greater priority to reaching the nations and the lost of the world? Well, I wasn't sure how to answer that. I'd been wondering the same thing myself. But after praying and meditating on it, I wrote him and I said, sir, I believe God is answering your prayer. 
He is calling out missionaries. But the missionaries are not responding to the call because of a closed mind or a calloused heart or a reluctant will. Now think about for just a moment why perhaps you've never considered that God's plan and purpose, whatever your vocation or wherever he places you, whether overseas or right here in Jackson, Mississippi, why you've never considered that it involves God's plan and purpose of witness and reaching lostness and mission outreach and perhaps even going. Is it because your mind has been closed to that possibility? Or could it be that we've allowed our hearts to be indifferent and calloused? You know, when you see the images of a suffering and hurting world, people lost in sin, living in darkness around the world, does it ever occur to you that Jesus is the answer and that you have that answer in your life? Or have we just allowed our hearts to be calloused and say, Lord, man, I'm thankful I'm not living in Africa where the Ebola virus is, you know, dangerous or all of these war-term places like in Palestine and Iraq and so forth. Thank you that I live in America. We just allowed our hearts to be indifferent and callous toward the needs that Jesus wants to meet. Or could it be a reluctant will that we've just never been willing to come to the place of laying our life on the altar and say, here am I, Lord, send me. He may or may not send us overseas, but we'll become more aware of the needs around us. We'll be more willing to respond, to share Christ in more boldness. What is your will for my life? What is your plan and your purpose? I don't know. You don't need to know. All you need to do is come and lay your life on the altar for the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And let Him be Lord of your life. He'll open the door. He'll lead the way. He'll reveal what He wants to do in your life. When you allow that will, your own self-centered, selfish will, to be melted on the altar of submission and dedication to Him. You know, it's so wonderful that God has given us the opportunity to, uh, to know Him. I remember hearing a story growing up. In fact, I heard it so many times, I just quit using it because it was so trite, everyone had heard it. But this is a different generation. I don't know if your generation has had an opportunity to hear those old illustrations and stories preachers used to tell. But it was a story of, of, of when Jesus ascended to the Father and returned to heaven. The angels gathered around him, and they were just totally intrigued by the fact that the glorified, who they knew as the glorified Son of Man, had become a man on earth with flesh and blood. And not only that, but it suffered and died and been killed. I mean, they just could hardly comprehend this. And Jesus had to explain to them again that this was necessary in order to save and redeem a lost world who had become in bondage to sin. And, and the angel asked, well, uh, if you did this to save a lost world, does the whole world know what you have done? 
And he said, well, no, just in the few years there, I proclaimed the good news of the kingdom in Judea and Galilee and, you know, just that immediate area, very small portion of the world. And the angels asked, well, how is the rest of the people and the nations going to know that you died for them? And Jesus said, well, I left that to Peter and John and my disciples and my followers who would come after them. And an angel asked, what if they fail? And very quietly Jesus replied, if they fail, I have no other plan. I have no other plan. You see, we're the ones... And God's plan and purpose for our life must conform to His plan and His purpose. And He's demonstrated the power to fulfill it. But He calls us to participate in His plan. And it means forsaking ourselves and leaving all to follow Him and to walk in obedience. Will you bow with me in prayer? Father, I thank you, Lord, that you've called us as your children, as your people. And how wonderful it is and how it makes us feel so good to just gather and worship you and sense your presence in our midst and in our fellowship and our friendships together and our worship. Lord, may we realize that it's not about us, but it's about a lost world that you died to save. And how your heart yearns for us, for for people to know you. Lost people in Jackson, Mississippi. Students on our campus. Internationals coming into our community. They live among us, but Lord, they've never heard of your love. They've never heard the good news. And there's no one to tell them unless we do. And realize that that is your plan and purpose for our life. And Father, I pray that you would find us faithful and obedient. Lord, you'd find us submissive to your will. That we would open those closed hearts and minds and allow you to melt an indifferent, hardened hearts toward the needs around us to become the people of God, ministering, loving, reaching those that you love and that you died to save. Lord, may you find us faithful and obedient as we lay our lives on the altar in dedication to your Lordship once again. In your name I pray.